morning. It's lovely to see you. We, uh, uh, unfortunately, Jane and I can't stay for the picnic today. We've got another appointment. We're going to go and listen to Duran Duran in Hyde Park and cook. Um, but on our, what, our Life Fruit WhatsApp, there was a bit of chatter. And I think it was Martin Faulkner. Martin, are you here? Did I say Martin? He's just gone out, but he put a fantastic thing because I think Martin like put picnic. Someone said, I'm sorry, I can't be at the picnic. I think Martin put picnic. And I think Jane then said something about, you know, you need to bring your own food. And Martin put something like, well, that's the idea of a picnic, isn't it? You pick the best food and then you nick it from other people. <laughs> I thought that was genius. I've never heard that before. Absolute genius. Um, I've been thinking about ice cream and air travel. Ice cream, I mean, I, I, I often think of ice cream because uh, ice cream is such a wonderful thing. But I've been thinking of, of ice cream. I've been thinking if I was an ice cream seller and then the pandemic hit and then I couldn't sell many ice creams and then I could sell ice creams again, I'd have to get my van, I'd have to get my ice cream and then I'd have to go out and sell me ice creams. I'm a deep thinker, you can tell, aren't you? But the effects of the pandemic on an ice cream seller might be something like that. Now, I was then thinking about the airline industry. And I'm sorry if anyone's had flights cancelled. I'm not trying to upset you. But having stood in Schiphol Airport for two and a half hours trying to get back the other day because they didn't have enough you know, people to go through and hearing some friends of mine who had their tickets cancelled, I was then thinking about the airline industry and the effects of the airline industry on, uh, from the pandemic. You've got this global, complex thing that requires border people and baggage people and airlines and mechanics and, and people that sell the holidays. And they've all got to work together to enable people to get from A to B around the world. And as we've seen how complex that is, you suddenly shut everything down with the pandemic and 18 months later you try and start it all up again. And guess what? It doesn't really work, does it? There's cracks and there's this and there's all these different complex parts that need to work together to make it happen. And uh, I think our lives are a bit more like the airline industry than like that ice cream seller. I think there is a whole number of different things that kind of go together to make up different parts of our lives. And in a way, they kind of, any one of them can kind of tip us over, change us. They all have to work together. Um, I don't know why I've been thinking all that, but I have been. It might make some relevance as I go through the last of this talk, but I just want you to have that in mind, maybe. Quite simple, if you're selling ice cream and a pandemic comes and you stop and you try and restart again. Much more complicated if you're the world airline, the world air industry, much more complicated. And I think that our lives, we're much more like the world airline industry than ever we are like ice cream. Okay, hopefully that will become relevant. Otherwise, I've just, you know, whittled on about ice cream and airplanes. We are finishing this morning looking at our series on Ephesians. So this is the end of the Transform Life series. So we're going to read Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. I think it will come up on the screen behind me. Thank you, Sally. So this is what it says in conclusion for our Ephesians series. Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long 
and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word, that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, that you would inspire us, that you would challenge us. And most of all, I pray that we would grasp afresh and again something of the width and the depth and the height and the awesomeness of your love for us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So for many people, their idea of what love is probably has been mostly shaped by Hollywood. Uh, This romantic idea that love is all about your emotions. It's all about how you're feeling. That's kind of what Hollywood sells. And love certainly does involve our emotions, our feelings, but there is so much more to love than that. And the English language, we only have one word for love. And somehow that one word, four letters, L-O-V-E, is supposed to cover the range of, uh, of emotions and different expressions about love. One word is supposed to cover all those different expressions. So, for example, I love my wife. I do. I love my wife. I love ice cream. I do. I love God. I love my friends. I love a sunset. I love my dog. They're all different expressions of love. They all have different depths and different meanings. And yet in the English language, we just have one word. It's not really very good, is it? When you think about it, we have lots of words for lots of things. We have one word for love. The Greeks, in their language the one that the New Testament and therefore this letter was originally written in, well, they had numerous words for the different expressions of love. So, for example, they had eros, which I'm told is to do with affectionate love. That's the way that I love my wife, Jane. Then apparently there's philia, which is to do with friendship. That's the way I'm called to love you as my Christian brothers or sisters which is different, I think you will agree, than how I get to love my wife. Are you with me? Not the same, is it? It's different. So the Greeks had different words to explain different expressions of love. And then there is this word, agape. Agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape, which is really the ultimate expression of love. Because what it means is a selfless, sacrificial love. It's it's a love that goes way beyond emotions and feelings. Some people describe it as being love in its purest form. And in the verses that I've just read, the Greek word used for love is this word agape. So verse 17 says, I pray that you being rooted and established in Agape, in this selfless, sacrificial love of God. That you may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the agape, the selfless, sacrificial love of Christ. 
goes on, verse 17, and to know this agape, this selfless, sacrificial love of Christ, which, Paul says, surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond understanding. And, he says, fills us to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, I don't even begin to start to begin to understand to be filled with the fullness of the measure of God means. I cannot get my head around it. How can I get my head around the fullness of God? <laughs> I simply can't. And yet, and yet, there is something in this agape love, this selfless, sacrificial love of Christ, which is, goes beyond knowledge and somehow fills us to the measure of the fullness of God. See, in English, when Paul says, you know, I pray that you might know the love of God, we might think, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, what exactly do you mean? The Greeks would have known exactly what he meant. So why does Paul pray that we would grasp the agape love of Christ? Surely if someone says they love us, isn't that self-explanatory? Surely we know what they mean. When we read the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, surely... That's a kind of self-explanatory statement. We know what that means. And yet Paul here in Ephesians feels the need to pray that we, because he writes it to his readers and to, and to all those who are Christians afterwards, that we would grasp and understand something of the extent of Christ's love. That's why he says the width and the depth and the height and it's because the agape love of Jesus Christ is so vast and is so wide and it's so high and it's so unique and it's so magnificent and it's so awesome and it's so utterly incomprehensible to the human brain and heart that the only way that you and I will ever get to grasp or understand it is revelation from the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. You may think that the instructions on the back of Ikea cabinet are complicated. But let me say, you can apply your mind and get your head around them. The extent of Jesus' love for us, we need the Holy Spirit to come and help us, to come and reveal to us. Otherwise, we simply will not be able to grasp it. Purely information about the extent of Christ's love will not enable us to grasp it. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. You see, information might challenge and change how we think, but revelation from God can change how we live, can change us, as it were, from the inside. Because revelation of truth by the Holy Spirit enables that truth to become personal to become meaningful for us. And so Paul prays that they would grasp the agape love of Christ because he understands if they get this revelation, it will change everything. It will change how they live. It will change the dynamic of their relationship with God to see and understand and grasp something of the agape love, this selfless, sacrificial love that Jesus Christ has for them will change everything. So Paul here prays, pray, 
by the Holy Spirit, he might reveal to you so that you may grasp something, something of Jesus' love. So this morning, we're just going to look at five simple observations about how knowing this agape love of Jesus Christ can affect our lives. Number one, nothing to prove. When we know we're loved like this, it means we have nothing to prove. It's actually one of the most liberating and one of the most challenging truths in the world today. It challenges just about everything in our human psyche because so much of our human psyche is about drivenness. We are driven to earn. We are driven for acceptance. We are driven to achieve. We're driven to prove things to ourselves, to others, maybe to God. But you know what? The agape love of Christ challenges all that because where it begins with is by saying, guess what? You cannot earn God's love. You cannot earn God's love. You cannot buy God's approval. You cannot achieve your way into God's affection. You cannot score brownie points with God in order to be saved, loved, forgiven, chosen, and adopted. You cannot. Dean Dallas Willard says that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. I'll say that again. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. In other words, you can work hard for God, but it's never to earn his love. Rather, as those who have received his agape love by faith, those who know that he paid the price on the cross, he paid the bill. It's what we remember at communion. Jesus paid for, he has earned our salvation, and therefore we cannot earn it ourselves. We can't add anything to what Jesus has paid. All we can do is to receive it. It's to receive it. Over the last few years, people have been promoting random acts of kindness, which I like. This idea that, you know, you pay for the next person in line's, you know, coffee in the queue. You pay for them, and then when they get there, you've paid the bill. They don't have to pay for it themselves. These random acts of kindness... And in many ways, that's what Paul is wanting us to grasp here in Ephesians 3. God's agape love in Jesus Christ has paid the bill. It's done. If you're saved, you're saved. The bill's been paid. It's done. There's nothing more to pay. If somebody does that random act of kindness for you and you get to the front and someone says the coffee's been paid for, guess what? It's been paid. No point trying to pay more, is there? No point trying to pay it again. It's been paid. It's what Paul's been driving at here. No, no, you have been paid. The price has been paid. Even better, Paul says that we've now got access to the resources of heaven. So in one Ephesians 1.3, Paul began the letter by saying, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He didn't say, as we've learned, if you're good boys and girls, you might earn a few of God's blessings Not like you do a load of stuff, you get a stamp, and then you can go and get your free cup of coffee. It doesn't work like that in terms of God's love and God's forgiveness. He says you're already blessed with them. It's why this is a love that goes beyond knowledge. It's beyond human understanding. You'll only get it by revelation from the Holy Spirit. God's love for us is so good that basically unless God tells it 
to us himself, we'll never believe it. We'll never believe it. It's too good. It's too amazing. It's too wonderful. Unless God reveals it to us, we just won't get it. We won't grasp it. But the importance of being rooted and established in this agape love, which is what Paul prays, means you know you're loved. You know you're loved by God. And if you're loved by God, guess what? You have nothing to prove. So the pressure is off. The bill's paid. We don't need to struggle. We don't need to strive. God's done the work. God's done the heavy lifting. We come to receive from him what he has accomplished for us. We come to receive from him what he has accomplished for us. And that is such a countercultural message in a world seemingly full of people trying to prove themselves. You often see it in people's lives, maybe in the workplace, people so driven to succeed to prove they can do this or that, maybe clinging on to power till the very end, uh, who could I be talking about, and just won't go, you know, oh, no, 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 of course I'm going to carry on, great leaders carry on, oh, I'm off now. Striving, wanting to achieve, wanting to prove themselves, and so often it's not based on a healthy work ethic, but it's based on insecurity, but you know, if you know the agape love of God, then you and I can be very secure. Very secure. Because our security is not in the things that we're doing or what we have or what we can achieve, but our security is in one place and one place only. No matter what, I'm a loved son of God. <laughs> Whatever happens, I'm secure. I know God loves me. Doesn't mean nothing bad or difficult will ever happen. Doesn't mean there won't be things that make us sad or scratch our heads. It doesn't actually mean we can't work hard for God. We can be ambitious for God. We can have hopes and dreams with God, how he might use us, how he might change things in our lives, in the lives of people around us. But those things are not our identity. It's never our identity. My identity does not drive in the brand of car I drive, the type of perfume that I wear, how many likes I've got on Facebook or Twitter or anything else doesn't lie in what I can do or whether I, what I can't do, whether I'm successful or not. It lies in the fact that no matter what goes on, I am a beloved child of God. So the pressure is off. Freedom's available. I have nothing to prove. I'm a child of God, and I can share that with other people. That's the first point. The second point is this. If we know the agape love of God, I believe we can face every challenge. We can face every challenge because, as I've said, we're not exempt from going through challenges in life. They are part of life. Difficulties are part of life. And yet Paul here is praying that God would strengthen us with power through the Spirit in our inner beings. Why? So that we can enjoy the incredibly easy and simple and carefree, and pain-free, and trouble-free life that God will surely give us until he takes us into glory, the gospel according to how Dale Barlow would like it to be? No. No, he's praying that we might be strengthened in our inner being so that we can face anything. 
No storm of life is too great for us when we know the love of God. And God probably won't take the storm away, but he will help us to get through it. Often I think we struggle going through the storms of life because we lose our perspective. We lose sight of God. We lose sight of the bigger picture. Peter is the great example of this. He walks on water and all is going well while he's focusing on Jesus. And then in a moment, he takes his eyes off Jesus, looks at the water and goes, I'm walking on water and begins to sink. So often, I think, we begin to sink during the storms of life that we go through. But it's not because God wishes us to sink. Here's a secret one for you. If God wished you and I could to sink, he could sink us. He could sink us. It's never God's desire to sink us. The reason why we begin to sink is because in those moments, when the storm rages, we do what Peter did. We take our eyes off Jesus and we begin to sink. We actually take our eyes off the one who can rescue us, the one who can get us through. No matter what is going on, my appeal to you this morning is don't take your eyes off Jesus. No matter what is going on, do not take your eyes off him. You may be tempted sometimes. You may feel like God's abandoned me. You may find yourself questioning his goodness. You may find yourself trying to tell God or explain to him why he should be doing this or that. Sometimes we go through things in life and it feels like we're walking through this valley of disappointment, difficulties. Let me just say, the worst place in the world to abandon your faith is in that moment, is in the storm, is in the valley of disappointment. It's like you're driving through the desert in your car and for some reason you decide to stop and walk. That car was supposed to get you through. That was the thing that was going to get you through the desert. Why did you get out of the car and start walking? Our faith in God is is what will get us through the difficult times and circumstances and challenging seasons. And it's not simply our faith in him, but it is him. (laughs) It's him. See, our faith in him, it links us and leads us to him. We start looking to him. So important. That's how we face every challenge. We don't face every challenge because no challenges will come or because we have all the resources needed We face every challenge because of our faith in God takes us to God. And guess what? God has all the provision needed that we might face every challenge. And I think COVID has been a bit of a storm. If I just think over the last few years, COVID has been like a storm. It's been unprecedented in life. And we've had restrictions in personal life and in church life. And there's been this storm that's gone on. And then I think in individuals' lives, there's been different storms, things that would have possibly happened anyway. People have been going through things. I think for Jane and I, dealing with her mum's death and grief has been a storm that she's been going through, we've been going through. It, It was a storm that would have happened anyway, but it's a storm within a bigger storm. I think that's where the airline thing comes in. 
You know, there are all these different departments and they're all having their storms and it's all set within the bigger storm of COVID and the whole thing is difficult. Well, I actually think that's been happening for lots of us through this time, through this last couple of years. That there have been the normal challenges of life and they've all been happening at a generally challenging time and therefore there has been storms going on within this bigger storm and I think actually we're still navigating our way out and through individually as a church, maybe as a nation, but it's definitely been in the storm. Please, my appeal to you is don't take your eyes off Jesus. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Why would we take our eyes off Jesus? Why would we take our eyes off God? The one who loves us with this agape love. The one who knows all things. The one who has answers to all things. The one who will listen to us, endlessly kind, merciful, knows us, loves us, knows everything about why. Why in these moments of storm will we take our eyes off Jesus? Please, my appeal to you, if the storms are raging in and around your life, do not take your eyes off Jesus. It's our faith in him. It's knowing the agape love of God that enables us to face challenges, to walk through challenges, to get through the storms. Number three, knowing this agape love of Jesus, knowing we're loved like this, means we can love others. And I'm not talking about those we find easy to love. I'm talking about those as well that we maybe find harder to love. Those who maybe we don't get, we don't understand. Maybe they've hurt us in some ways. And this is where agape love gets challenging because it's not about us. It's not a selfish, feeling good kind of love. This is about a love that can hurt, that can cost. It's about selfless, sacrificial love. But it's actually where we get a revelation, I think, of God's agape love for us as manifested at the cross through Jesus. When we, when, we, when we love others through God's love, who we wouldn't normally love, I think it helps us to begin to understand just a tinsy bit that as Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't some noble, wind-in-the-hair, romantic, lovey-dovey kind of love. It just wasn't that. It was a selfless, sacrificial love. He didn't do it because he felt good. He did it because we couldn't save ourselves and he didn't want the alternative for us, which was us being separated from God in hell forever. It was a steely love. It was a solid love. It was a love that many laid down his life. It's a love that he looked ahead to my future and decided that he would rather sacrifice himself on the cross than me go to hell. That was the love. That is agape love that Jesus showed us on the cross. And when we grasp something of, of that is the kind of love that God has for us, I believe we can love others. We can forgive others. We can be generous towards others. The love of God is a stream. It has to flow into us before it can flow out of us to others. Number four, we're carriers of hope. We're carriers of hope. Knowing we're loved like this means we are carriers of hope. And the world is filled with such despair and such hopelessness. 
Uh, but as Christians, we have this honor of being carriers of God's hope simply because we know him and we know that we're loved by him. We have a hope. We have a reason to get up in the morning. We know one that will help us through the challenges. We know that for some reason we are loved by Almighty God. We are forgiven by him. And so therefore we are carriers of that love and that hope. And guess what? We can carry that right into the lives of people that we live with and that we work with. We can be representatives of the message of hope. We're not those who are trying to pretend that we're perfect, because we're not. We're not trying to pretend that we know everything, because we don't. We're certainly not trying to pretend that we're better than anyone else, because apart from anything that God has done in our lives, we are not. But we are carriers of a message of hope, and our message really is this. I didn't know God, and I wasn't looking for God, and, and I wasn't forgiven by God, and then one day, God broke into my life and showed me that he loves me. And now I know God, and if he's done that for me, guess what? I can do that for you. So there is hope. There's hope. There's hope for you, whoever you are, there's hope. If you're not a Christian here this morning, let me tell you, there's hope. And my hope is not based on how good or bad you are or have been. My hope is simply this. There's a God who broke into my life when I didn't deserve it, forgave me, and he loves me for better or for worse. In sickness and in health, till death or two parts. There's a God who loves me. Covenant. It's to me. And I believe that if he's done that for me, he can do that for anyone here. So I'm a carrier of hope. And if you might say to me, but you don't know who I am or what I've done or how far I've strayed from God, let me tell you, if God saves you, it's not to glorify you, it's to glorify his son Jesus. That is what God is into. He is into glorifying his son Jesus. He's not in one sense interested how good or bad you've been, because that would only bring glory to you. But he wants to bring glory to his son, Jesus. And he wants to make trophies of his grace. Men and women who are saved and forgiven only because of what Jesus So my encouragement this morning to you, if you're not a Christian, there's hope for you. There's hope because there's a God who loves you. And his son, Jesus, died on the cross that your sins may be forgiven. All you need to do is to ask him to forgive you and to put your faith in him and you can be saved this morning. Last one, fifth thing, a desire to glorify God. See, I think if we know we're loved by God like this, then I think what it will put into us is a desire to praise him, to glorify him to lift up his name. When we come together on a Sunday morning as a church, we don't sing songs. Well, we do sing songs, but it's not really what we're doing. What we're actually doing is remembering again that we have a God who loves us 
a saviour who has saved us, and we are responding to that love in praise and in worship. We are reminding one another that, that that has happened to us. It's this heartfelt response to the love of God. I'm just going to finish by reading Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, which is the final few verses of this bit of Ephesians that we are looking at. And, you know, we can say this when we're in the valley or in the hilltop, wherever we are in life, personally or as a church. It says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thanks.